Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. You've dropped in on a series of lessons that I've entitled Greater Than, and we're taking a look at several areas of our lives that are a challenge. Areas of our lives that can be like a bully getting up in our face and saying, deal with this, with an attempt to try and take us down. Evil can do that. So can sufferings. So can ugly religion. So can our doubts. All of those things can keep us from living the abundant life that Jesus came purposely to make possible. And what we found out over the last couple of weeks is this. Jesus comes not to deliver us completely from evil or sufferings or doubts or even ugly religion. That won't happen until he returns. But he has come and has proved himself more sufficient than anybody or anything to help us gain an upper hand over those terrible bully-like areas of our lives. But those aren't the only areas that God is greater than in. I really am hoping this morning that some of you will finally hear a word from God that will convince you once and for all that he really is greater than your past. And I brought with me a mat this morning that I hope visually will represent your past to you. Uh, and to understand a little bit more about why use a mat for that, I'd like for you to open your Bibles again, like I said, to Mark chapter 2. So if you're not there yet, please do so, because I'm going to tell you a story while you're turning there. Two nine-year-old boys were sharing a hospital room, and one of the boys was clearly nervous, and so the other one asked him, why are you, why are you here? What are you in for? He said, well, I, I'm going to have my tonsils taken out, and I have no idea what that means. And I said, oh, no sweat. First of all, they're going to put you to sleep. You won't feel a thing. Then when you wake up, they're going to give you all the jello and ice cream that you can eat, and then you go home. He said, well, that's not so bad. He said, what are you in for? And he said, well, I'm not sure. I'm having something called a circumcision. And the other boy said, whoa. Whoa. I had that when I was born, and I didn't walk for a year. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. But the, <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> and there really is some truth behind that lesson. Here it is. Some wounds take a long time to heal, don't they? They really do. But listen to me. God has made it possible in Jesus Christ for anything from your past to be healed. It may take some time, but I really want to give you hope and speak the truth. No, time doesn't heal all wounds, but time plus a relationship with Jesus Christ does. Jesus said some things are impossible with man, but all things, all things are possible with God. And the evidence that he offers for that we'll talk about in just a few moments. But for now, I, I've been praying for and believing that today God would bring at least one person to hear this message today in this room who's brought something with them from their past that won't let go of them or they won't let go of. 
And that this morning will be a turning point for that. And new life for that. It never ceases to amaze me how the past can incarcerate the present. 60 Minutes featured a report several years back about a group of people who suffer from a very rare condition. It's called superior autobiographical memory. They are people who can remember every detail of their past. One lady that the University of California has been studying for the last eight years is Jill Price. At the time of her interview with 60 Minutes, she was a 40-year-old school administrator. She can remember every single detail of her life after the age of 14. She can't forget. And so I guess maybe that's why they entitled the book that she wrote, The Woman Who Can't Forget. Now, interestingly enough, she has a horrible time memorizing poems or phone numbers or random streets in her city. But she cannot forget the details of her personal relationships that have gone wrong. Words that were spoken to her unkindly or actions taken against her that have humiliated her or belittled her or scorned her. And she can't forget any of the vivid details of the moments of success and beauty and accomplishment as long as all of those memories in some way are attached to her. If they are, she remembers everything about them. Now you might think that's a blessing. She'll tell you it's not. It's a huge burden. She cannot forget a single wound, a single mistake, a single bad decision, a single embarrassing moment. She is imprisoned by her memory. She will tell you that she doesn't sleep well at night because of it. Now through her, what scientists are learning is how essential it is for us to forget certain aspects of our lives or at least distance ourselves from the hurt and the pain that comes from them. So, what if God could help you not so much remove completely your memory from hurtful events of the past, but what if he really could reprocess them for you? No, redeem them for you. And transform them from something that steals from you into, into something that maybe is actually life-giving. God can do that. God can do that. Few types of bondage are greater than the prison of the past, but God can still set you free. Mark chapter 2 is going to be the text that I want you to look at this morning to underscore that for us. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers there that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And so, Jesus preached the word to them. Now some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and they lowered the mat down that he was lying on. Now when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there listening to this, and they thought to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus said he knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking. And so he said, come on. Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say? 
your sins are forgiven or get up and take your mat and walk. Well, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he did. He got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of all of them. And this little addendum is added. This amazed everyone. And they praise God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's pray. Father, blessings and honor to you for the word that you've given us this morning. Thank you for um, the opportunity we have to gather here in such a freeing way. It is easy for us to take that for granted, but we're trying not to in this moment. To not do so. We realize we're not the only group of folks here in town who are trying to lift up your name in praise, to, to remember your son's death, to proclaim that death, even as we take the Lord's Supper. We ask that you please pour out your blessing upon the disciples who are meeting at Oak Park Baptist Church, even as we speak. Bless them, Father, and their, and their desires to draw close to you. You've promised that if we would do that, you'd draw close to us. Please draw all of the followers of your son together in this community that, that the world might believe that you really did send him and that it matters. We ask us humbly in Christ's name and everyone said. Just another amazing day in the life of Jesus. But it starts out with him going to a man's home not for a healing service. He just went there to preach. But when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you never know what might happen. And so he heals an unexpected visitor to his Bible study. And I want you to notice Jesus' critics are not upset that he heals the guy. What they're upset about is that he forgave him. And my guess is that the man's friends are probably a little disappointed too. Because they didn't go to all this trouble of risking injury to themselves and to their friend by by hauling him up to the top of the roof. And by creating a skylight that the owner hadn't ordered and dropping him down in front of Jesus, they didn't go to all that trouble to hear the words, your sins are forgiven. Now they want to hear something like, walk, your legs are made new, or, or your paralysis is gone and your strength is restored. That's what they wanted to hear. Something healing, not, not something forgiving. I mean, the obvious need for their friend was, His legs needed to be healed, right? And Jesus would say, no. What he needs most is forgiveness from his past. I've witnessed it in my life, and maybe you have too, that it is almost impossible to walk through life freely, and in some cases not at all, if your past is paralyzing you. And so much of the bondage that I think is in this room this morning is probably due to the absence of forgiveness, not the presence of some sickness. Now, it's important to note that not all sickness is a direct result of personal sin. I need to say that right up front. And sometimes we can see in the scripture that there are texts where Jesus attaches our choices to something that brings sickness or hurt into our lives. And I've seen that. You've seen it. People can get drunk too many times in their lives and they suffer cirrhosis of the liver. 
Sex outside of marriage can introduce a deadly virus into your body that you can never recover from. And I can give you other examples of sin being responsible for the sickness that's attached to a human's body or, or comes as a result of that. But it is a false teaching to say this, that all sickness is connected to personal disobedience. But I do need to say this. The Bible says, the scripture points out through Genesis all the way through Revelation, that the sin sickness we experience in our life is due to a choice that Adam and Eve made. And that all sickness is some way, somehow still tied to that fallenness that came with their choice to live life on their terms and not God's. See, God did not create a world where biopsies were natural. God did not create a world where there was a need for emergency rooms. Sin, sickness, and bondage is a result of the fall, the scripture says. But here's what I want you to see. If Jesus is going to undo the circumstance of this man who's suffering from paralysis on a mat, it's going to require he's greater than the cause behind that paralysis. Every time Jesus heals someone, he's driving back death. Every time Jesus heals someone, he's invading the darkness that Raymond talked about during the Lord's Supper. He's staking his claim. I am greater than this darkness, greater than the curse of Adam that he brought into this world. And in Mark chapter 2, I think we see Jesus' greatest miracle. It wasn't walking on water. It wasn't turning water into wine. It wasn't even raising Lazarus from the dead. I think the greatest miracle of Jesus is this, that he has the authority to forgive sins. Now that doesn't sound so much in this world, but I can assure you when this world is done and you're done with it and it's just you and God at judgment, that act of God will be the greatest miracle, the only miracle you're concerned with. Is does Jesus really have the power and the authority to forgive my sins? Before a holy God? That's why I think it's the greatest miracle of all. You see, I've witnessed in my own life, even if you don't think that, I've seen the power of forgiveness that's received. I've seen the power of forgiveness that's been appropriated. I've seen the power of forgiveness that's walked in. And I've seen the power of forgiveness that's given to another person. It changes people's lives. That's why David would write this, Lord, if, if you kept a record of sins, nobody could stand. Because we couldn't. If God was a sin record keeper, if he was a debt keeper, we are all on the mat without hope. We're all paralyzed. There is no future to live for. But I love what the text says next. But with you, there is forgiveness. So that we can, in reverence, serve you. You're struggling with doing what you know God would like for you to do? Are you struggling with serving Him? He says, check your forgiveness. Check your understanding of it. Check your, your applying it to your life. Check your offering it. Because it's through His forgiveness that we are enabled to serve. How is that possible? Well, Jesus is going to say this. If I'm greater than your past, that's going to mean that I am not defined by my wrongs. If I'm greater than my 
If Jesus is greater than my past, if I believe that, if I trust in that, if I'm banking my life on that, it means I'm not defined by my past wrongs. And for some of you, that could be really good news. It is for me. Rogers Cadenhead, when he realized that Pope John Paul was about to die, went and purchased the domain name www.benedict16th is what that actually works out. And sure enough, Cardinal Benedict was named the next pope. So Cadenhead owned an internet address that the Vatican desperately wanted for exclusive rights for their own use. So he said to the Vatican, I'll tell you what, I'll give it to you. But here are my terms. I want one of those tall white pope hats. And then I'd like a free stay in the Vatican Hotel for a week. And I want complete absolution. No questions asked. For the third week of March 1987. Wow. What had he done so long ago that he was haunted by so much that he would ask for that. Maybe that's not so far-fetched because maybe you're thinking of a day or a week from your past that still haunts you. The Hebrew Scriptures as well as the New Testament Scriptures both note moments when the most admired men and women were doing things with their lives that were most unadmirable. One of the reasons that I trust the scriptures to be God's word is because amazingly God chooses when he inspires this and inspires the writers of these, of these books to, to include in it such transparency for their frailties and their failures. It's what makes me trust that this truly is God's word and always will be. Abraham the father of faith was a liar. Moses, the great deliverer of Israel, murderer. Israel's most famous king, David, the adulterer-murderer combo. Peter was a denier. Paul was a terrorist. Yes, he ambushed innocent people for religious reasons. And we hear stories like that in gatherings like this, and for some reason, they just don't seem as heinous. They don't seem as ugly as our stories when they're in headlines or when they're talked about in somebody's small group and our names attached to them. We think they're not nearly as offensive as ours because we're the guy, I'm the guy who bailed on his family. I'm the guy who violated another person sexually. I'm the girl who chose the abortion in college. I'm the dad who can't support his own family. I'm the wife who gambled away the family's retirement. I'm the one who lied, who cheated, who betrayed, who molested. I'm the addict that ruined my parents financially and emotionally. Now where do thoughts like that come from? Not from God. Jesus said himself, they come from the Satan, from the liar, from the accuser of the brethren who came to steal, kill, and destroy. Living back in Ruidoso, when my kids were still at home, still kind of around the junior high age, I owned a shirt that I loved to wear. 
And I guess somehow I was unloading the truck or something, and I bumped up against it. But I had a grease stain that was right here, kind of in this area. I don't know how it happened. I'm sure the kids were at fault, but I'm not quite sure how it all unfolded. I was disappointed, though, because I love that shirt. You got anything like that, a shirt or some pants or something that you wear? You just love that. Well, I love this. And it was ruined. And Gail said, no, 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 no. Let me, let me give it my shot. She worked her magic, and sure enough, she brought that thing in, and I was going, get out of here. I mean, it really looked good. I mean, if you took a magnifying glass and looked at it, yeah, you could probably see the, the, the leftovers from the stain. But I promise you, if you stood two feet from me, and you were just talking to me, and I was wearing that shirt, you'd never know it was there. But I did. Every time I went to pull that thing down from the rack, I'd see or remember the stain was there. And so, eventually, it just kind of worked its way to the wall, like certain clothes or outfits that we have just do. And then when we moved to Fredericksburg, gave the shirt away. Never wore it again. But you understand that because there are some things in your life when you're taking a shower, you're going for a walk, you're striving to work, and every now and then that, that thing that stained your life just crashes into view, comes back with a vengeance, and all you see is the stain. Sure, there's other parts of your life that are worthy of cherishing and celebrating, but the stain of that moment is right there again. Don't seem to go away. There may be a God in heaven, Jimmy, yes, and he may be gracious, yes. He may even be capable of forgiving the stain, but the stain's still there. What do I do with that? Where do those images come from? I don't believe the God of heaven haunts his kids with the memory of our failures that he's so desperately wanting to forgive. In Psalms chapter 103 and verse 12, the redeemed King David writes, As far as the east is from the west, God has forgiven my sins. Do you know that if you travel north in our world, eventually you keep traveling far enough, you're going to start traveling south. Agree? Nod your head like this. But you know what? If you travel east... You never start going west. How is that possible? Now you're allowed to think of that for three more seconds and then you've got to stop. <laughs> but maybe that's why David chose that. As far as the east is from the west, God has removed our sins. You see, you can never go east until you start going west. You just keep going east. In Mal Malachi chapter 7 and verse 19... The prophet says this about God. He will trample our sins under his feet and he will throw them into the depths of the ocean. Now please know that when God throws your sin into the ocean, the first thing he's going to do is to post a no fishing sign. Leave them alone. How many of us have bought the lie that if I just go to church and follow his religious requirements, then maybe God will do something about the stain of my sin. Can't happen. Can't happen. 
Not unless I take these truths that we're listening to and I welcome them into my heart and I start staking my life on them. In the Old Testament, there are some very intricate details about the furniture that needed to be in the tabernacle and later in the temple. But in both the tabernacle and the temple, there's something there, a piece of furniture you'll never find mentioned. Chairs. No chairs in the temple. It's because the work was never done. There was always one more sacrifice. There was always one more sin offering. So why, why does the New Testament say that Jesus is seated in the heavens? It's because the work's done. The work's finished at a place called Golgotha, at a place called a cross. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11, the writer says, Jesus Christ is all of the sacrifice any of us needs. Listen to how he says that. If animal blood and other rituals of purification were effective in the Old Testament in cleaning up certain matters of our religion and behavior, then think how much more the blood of Christ Cleans up our whole lives, inside and out. He says, I'm telling you through the Spirit, Christ offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice, freeing us from all these dead-end efforts to make ourselves respectable so that we can live an all-out life for God. Now that's his word, not mine. One of his last words on the cross was tetelestai. It's the Greek word, it's finished. And all Jesus was trying to say, it's done. Stick a fork in it. Over. Debt canceled. It was just an accountant's term. Paid in full. Why? Because he was hoping today and other times like this, when you, when you look at these truths, it grabs your heart and it just, it just becomes a part of you. That you are pardoned, not as a convict, Destined to live with some kind of a record the rest of your life. No, you're a son. You're a daughter. Perfectly cleansed from every stain in your life. Every one of them. <laughs> and the blood of Jesus Christ is what was responsible for it. The life that's in the blood of Christ was responsible for it. I grew up in small churches of Christ. Long before praise teams were ever invented... And we had probably never heard of a praise team, and if we had, we would have been against it. But I can't remember a single name of a song leader. I tried this week. I can't remember a single name of a song leader who led singing for our church, except for Bernard Lassner. He had a tan, kind of like Raymond's. And he came to our church for a weekend of praise. I don't remember what we actually called it. It may have just been a song service. I don't know. But he came for a weekend of praise. And we did. When he led a song, I had never heard it led like that. When we sang as a church, I'd never heard us sing like he could lead us in singing. And he sang one of my favorite songs that weekend. And it, it forever will stick with me how he did it. One of my favorite songs is There's Power in the Blood. And when he would sing that, maybe some of you have seen song leaders do this, but Bernard was the first one I ever said. He said, whenever we would use the word power in the chorus, he would do this, this little fist pump. There is power, 
power, wonder work in power. I mean, he would just pound that thing. And we loved it. Now, we never did it back. But that was as close to Pentecostal as we ever got in the church. And it drove home a point to me that weekend in a way that as a teenager I'd never heard it before, that that there was something going on in that blood. I mean, power was released that could change my life forever, and I bought it. Yes, I'd become a Christian several years earlier, but I, I finally got it that morning that I am forgiven, done, finished when it comes to my sin. Christ handled that. Words like Romans 5 and verse 20. Wherever sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Grace increased all the more. All of a sudden took on new meaning for me. And I would hope today would be one of those days that you had circled on the calendar in your life. And you would say, okay, I am going to believe when God looks at me, he does not see stain he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ I'm going to believe there really is power in the blood I'm going to believe it and I'm going to hang on to it I'm going to build my life around that because the blood of Jesus Christ is greater than anything that I've done number two it's also greater than anything that's been done to me It's not just the wrongs of my past that I carry with me. It's also the wounds. How about you? This is the toughest one for me to do. This is the toughest one for me to apply the lifeblood of Christ to. But friend, I just want to tell you this. Ultimate freedom is not possible. The life that we have as a part of our mission statement is not possible unless you not just just let Jesus forgive the wrongs you've done. But you've got to let him heal the wrongs done to you. And there's only one place that can happen. It's at the cross. You've got to take your past past the cross. You've got to. And not just once, but continuously. But I'm telling you, there's freedom there. I'm I'm telling you, for my own life, there's freedom there. Every one of us have done somebody wrong. Every one of us has also had somebody do something wrong to us. Someone has lied to me. Someone slandered me. Someone's raped you. Someone stole from you. Humiliated you. Hit you. Cheated you. Abandoned you. Broke their promise to you. And some of you won't let it go. And the problem with that is holding on to wrongs never works out right. It just doesn't. And the only way to escape the paralysis of bitterness is forgiveness. Patty Davis, whose father was past president Ronald Reagan, wrote about the day that the president was shot. She said, I went to the hospital the next day to see him, not as a president, but as my dad. My dad wanted to know the name of the man who had shot him. So we told him, John Hinckley, and we asked him why. He said, because I need to forgive him. And they said, well, Why? And President Reagan said this, because forgiving him is essential to my healing. Rick Ashley said it this way, forgiveness is how you keep from being chained to a past you can't change. 
think he's right on the money. Now, you can't go back and undo the wound. I can't go back and undo the wound, but it doesn't have to be my prison. You leave the mat by forgiving the person who hurt you, not because they deserve it, but because you didn't. Paul could say this then and, and, and mean it, that we lived it. In Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. He would say to the church at Colossae the same thing, bear with each other and you forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, you forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now he will not ask you to do something that's not possible. He wouldn't. It may not be possible with you. But I'll say it again in what we read earlier this morning. All things are possible with God in you and through you. So forgiveness is not pretending that the wound didn't happen. Or it doesn't hurt. Or it wasn't evil. Or even naively establishing trust with the person who hurt you. No, the Hebrew writer says, Jesus' wounds are sufficient for healing me. Don't take my word. Take his Isaiah 53 and verse 5. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. Now, I think sometimes that is applied to physical healing. And it can be. But I think for the most part, the thing that I need to be healed most of, as we see in the text this morning, is not my, my physical body, but my heart. It's my heart. By his wounds I am able to be healed. You see, Jesus not only paid a price for the wrongs against others that you're responsible for, but he paid a price also for the wrongs committed against you. And what the other person may not ever do to make that right, Jesus at the cross made it right for all of us. And the grace that he poured out on me that I didn't deserve is too precious to hoard, he says. And so I guess the cross invalidates all reason for grudges. God's grace comes to all of us free of charge. You can't do anything in the world to earn that. You can't memorize enough verses. You can't attend enough services. You can't give, serve. You can't do anything to earn his grace. But it comes with some expectations when you receive it. And that is that you give it away. When Jesus taught us to pray, he included that in our daily prayers when he said, God, please forgive me my debts. As I forgive those whose debts I release, as I let go of them. Now, I, I, in my lifetime, praying that I would just forgive somebody who's hurt me hasn't been that effective. Let me tell you where it, it upped a notch. It was when I started to pray for their health and their family and their relationship with God. I think that maybe is what he meant by praying for our enemies. And doing good towards those who have hurt us, not returning evil for evil. That's just how it's helped me. Hebrews 12 says we need all of us to be on the guard from turning our back from the grace of God. Let nobody become a bitter plant that grows up and causes much trouble with poison. Hmm. Former President Clinton tells of meeting Nelson Mandela for the first time. He told him that he woke up his daughter Chelsea at 3 o'clock in the morning to witness an incredible event, and that was the release of Nelson Mandela after 27 years of unjust imprisonment. Clinton said to Nelson when he met him, 
He said, I noticed as you walked across the courtyard, there was hate and anger on your face. And that's not the Nelson Mandela that I've come to know and admire. And Mandela replied, that's true. And I wish with all my heart the television cameras hadn't captured that. But as I walked out of that prison, I was angry. I was angry at the near three decades that I had lost and would never get back. Separated from my family, friends who had died senselessly, a cause that seemed all but over. I was angry because they had taken everything from me that meant anything. He said, but then I heard a deep voice in my heart that said, Nelson, for 27 years you were their prisoner. You're always a free man. But now that you're a free man, don't let the bitterness you once again don't let the bitterness make you once again their prisoner. Now that you're a free man, do not let the bitterness make you once again their prisoner. Now that you're a free man, do not let the bitterness make you once again their prisoner. None of us were meant for mats. None of us. And that's why Jesus went to the mat for you. And what he's asking is all of us to believe with all of our hearts that he did and that it matters. But not just stop there. But to also believe that if I offered what he offered to get us up off of our mats to someone else, it could mean freedom for them. I'd like you to do me a favor. There's some mats, whether you knew it or not, right there in front of you in the chair pocket. Now, they look a lot like a visitor's card, but if you'll pull those out, they're actually mats, okay? If you've got these in front of you, please do. Pull those out and then find something to write with. I'm going to ask our praise team to give us a little background as we undertake a little exercise. I'd like you to bow your heads with whatever you've got to write on and your mat in front of you. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads, please. I'd like you to think about what is it that you came in here with today that's a part of your past that needs to be left right here today. It has continued to rear its ugly head and not just be something that appears, but something that starts to shut your life down again. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you now. Either a past failure of your own or a past wound that you've incurred because of someone else's failure to you. Whatever that is, I'm going to give you a couple of seconds to write that down.
Father in heaven, some of the, the things we've written down on this mat of ours have become our normal. No matter how long ago it, they, they happened, they incurred, whether we were responsible or someone else was. They've been a part of our lives for a long, long time. You said all things are possible with you. We're asking this morning that in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that you would help us leave this wound here on this mat and to be done with it. And if we need to declare the name of Jesus over this particular wrong or wound, would you please give us the strength and the power of the Spirit that whenever it comes into our vision or comes into our mind, that in that moment we take that image captive. We take that reviling word, the, the memories and the hurts, the wounds that come with it, captive. We can't do that, God. We've tried, and it is hung on and hung on, and we're asking for your help. Just as those friends lowered that man in front of Jesus' presence, we are bringing this to you in the presence of our family and with them. Asking in the name of Jesus, would you please set us free? We believe you set us free at the cross. We believe that you have made us your son, your daughter, that you have removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. Please help us remove this from having any more impact on our lives. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus and everyone said, I'd like to ask you to stand, please. What I'd like you to do next is take your mat, and I'd like you to put it in front of you, just like this. Put your fingers together just like this, and then tear that thing right in two. Because we don't need mats anymore. Amen? Now, there's some boxes out here as you walk out of here that have little signs over them called mat trash. You just put these mats in the trash, all right? Because Jesus has said something could happen today that maybe not has happened ever or maybe is moving you further down the road of actually experiencing a freedom he has been desperate for you to experience. You have to believe. You have to trust. And then you have to get up and walk. All right? Receive his healing, but then you go share that healing with whoever needs it. All right? I invite you to sing now and praise him for what we know to be true. He paid a debt we didn't know. Let's sing. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. 